Youth have always faced inordinately high vulnerabilities in the world's labor markets. They are often the first to lose their jobs in a recession, as they did in the last financial crisis more than a decade ago. But the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic has been different. ILO Director General Guy Ryder says the current challenges facing youth are far worse than what we've seen before. So we started already from a situation of great hardship and extreme vulnerability uh, for young people. Now, what has happened since, I'm afraid, uh, makes matters considerably worse. Perhaps the most important conclusion uh, in our monitor is that of young people who were working uh, prior to the pandemic, well, more than one in six of those young people is now no longer working. And so I don't think it is um, giving way to hyperbole to talk about the danger of a lockdown generation uh, to whom we must give particular attention in the many challenges that we will face as we exit this pandemic. Here to expand on this topic today are Cher Varick, head of the Employment Strategies Unit, and research and technical specialist Susana Puerto Gonzalez. Both are in the Employment and Labor Market Policies branch of the ILO's Employment Policy Department. We're going to discuss the extent of the youth employment crisis, how the current crisis is different than previous economic crises, and what policy recommendations the ILO has to offer. Chair Susana, welcome to the podcast. So my first question to share is, um, in your latest policy brief tackling the COVID-19 youth employment crisis, you say that even in the best of times, young people face difficulties in the labor market. So why are young workers disproportionately affected? And is this time different compared with previous crises? That's right, Tom. Even in the best of times, uh, young people face challenges in the labor market, and that's reflected in the youth unemployment rate, which tends to be three times more than that for older adults. We also see that reflected in informality. Uh, around three quarters of young workers are informally employed compared with around 60% of those aged 25 and above. Now, during crises, young people tend to be hit harder. We saw that in 2008 and nine in the global financial crisis. And here, you know, in these situations, young workers are cheaper and easier to fire. Young workers are also more likely to be in temporary and informal jobs with less protection. And thirdly, young people are a large proportion of the job seekers. And as we see in this crisis and in previous crises, uh, vacancy rates go down. And this leads to a lot of competition, which makes it even harder for young people to get a foothold in the labor market. Now, is this time different? Well, yes and no. Well, no, because we are already seeing young people being hit harder in terms of a rapidly rising unemployment rate and falling labor force participation rates, etc. But it is different in a number of ways. Firstly, it's different because the crisis is much more widespread. The crisis has hit demand and supply. It has hit all countries through direct effects, through the lockdown and containment measures, also through indirect effects in terms of disruption to trade, uh, tourism, migration, remittances, etc., it is also different because there are not only disruptions to the labor market, but also disruptions to education and training, which has very important implications for the situation of young people. Okay, so is this crisis more acute in low or high-income countries? And what about young people in the informal economy? Well, our estimates at the ILO, as uh, released in the ILO Monitor most recently uh, at the end of May, show that the impact has affected all regions uh, to some extent, 
but most notably the Americas, Europe and, and Central Asia, if we look at the, at, the, at the latest figures we have. So countries of all income levels have been affected, and as I mentioned, through both these direct and indirect effects. So some countries have a lot of COVID cases. Others who have fewer cases, which have fewer cases, are still being affected by the indirect effects through the disruption to trade, etc. Now, when we look at these low- and middle-income countries, particularly in South Asia, the Americas, and Africa, one of the most vulnerable groups are young workers in the informal economy. And they are the most exposed to job losses and have less support and access to, to measures and benefits that, that we see in, in, in higher-income countries. And what about um, the gender wage gaps and occupational segregation among young women and men? Are, are young women more vulnerable to the impact of the uh, crisis? Well, yes, we, we do see a, a very strong gender dimension to this crisis. But I, I just would stress that even before the crisis, we saw a range of inequalities in the labor market, despite the progress that has been made in, in recent years. So we had lower labor force participation rates for, for young women, uh, the gender wage gaps, occupational segregation, as you've mentioned. Now, but what we're seeing during this crisis, which is, is different than previous crises, is that young women are being hit harder because of their uh, employment in hard-hit sectors, such as accommodation, food services, and retail. And secondly, we also see women making up a high proportion of those frontline workers. So they're the ones who are you know, working you know, in terrible working conditions uh, and, and are exposed to, to the virus in those jobs. And thirdly, we also know that young women bear a greater care burden than young men, and this is being also severely impacted during uh, this crisis. So, you know, the real concern for, for us at the ILO is that this crisis threatens to impact young women and reduces their chances to get a foothold in the labour market. And really, we are very concerned about that this would lead to a winding back of gains that have been made in, in recent years. So it's absolutely critical that, you know, young women are supported to rejoin the workforce uh, you know, particularly sectors that offer new opportunities or are growing as part of the recovery, or continue uh, with education and training in line with the post-crisis economy. Right, and and you you just mentioned education and training. So, um, how is this crisis impacting uh, the employability and uh, transition of young people from school to work? And is this likely to have a long-term impact on their employment prospects and earning capacity in the future? Well, that's right. And as I as I mentioned before. This crisis is different insofar that it is not only impacting directly the labor market, but also uh, education and training. So as we've seen around the world, the crisis has led to major disruptions through the closures of schools, university, TVET institutions, as well as, well as you know, inter uh, interruptions to apprenticeships, traineeships, all the key parts of, of building young people's skills and, and opportunities to get a foothold in the labor market. And we're not talking about you know a small number of young people, and our estimates say, show that around uh, half a billion young people were in upper secondary education, post secondary, non tertiary, and tertiary education uh, before the onset of the crisis, and they have experienced significant disruptions to their learning over over recent weeks and months. Uh, a, a survey the ILO has done with UNESCO and the World Bank show that 98% of of train uh, technical vocational educational schools and training centers were forced to close completely or partially during this crisis. Now, many of them have, have moved to online training, which uh, has been successful in, in some cases, 
but really that has been more prominent in advanced economies. So the, the real concern is that in, in you know, low and middle income countries where the infrastructure and access to online learning hasn't been as good, young people face re really severe disruptions to their education and learning, which will have very serious consequences for their future opportunities in the labor market. Uh, and you know, what we know from previous crises, these types of disruptions to education and, th uh, and training threatens to impose lifelong losses for young people, especially those who are forced to quit their studies, or they may f find themselves uh, you know, with a degree that will not be in demand as we move into the recovery period. So I think, you know, coming to the, to the part about the long-term impact, you know, just to stress on this long-term impact, what we really are concerned about is how these young people will be able to make the transition from school to work, given the disruptions that we've seen in education and training. And we really have to focus very carefully on which sectors are going to be growing as we move into the recovery phase. And they may not be the same sectors where young people had, had been getting their education and training prior to the onset of the crisis. And this will be a very important issue in order to get young people back into the labor market and to ensure that they can make a successful transition to decent work. Now, I think this raises the interesting question that, um, uh, which brought out in the policy brief that a huge share of young people today are neither in employment, education, or training. And this amounts to around 267 million or one-fifth of the young people worldwide. So I'd like to ask Susanna, uh, if they're not working, if they're not learning or training, what, what are they doing? Indeed, uh, prior to the pandemic, around one out of five young people were not in employment, education, or training, the so-called need of this generation. This comprises unemployed youth, who, as you know, are actively seeking employment, as well as those who are inactive, many of them discouraged by the lack of job and economic op opportunities, and who have been uh, given up on the job search. A young person with a need status is neither gaining experience in the labor market, nor receiving an income from work, nor enhancing his or her education and skills. So this is, um, it is quite a, a difficult situation for young people to be in. And it is important to emphasize that the persistence of the uh, need challenge is primarily critical among young women, especially those in lower middle income countries where the need rate is nearly 40%. So when COVID-19 hit the economies, it exacerbated the existing vulnerabilities among young people, particularly among those who were not working or studying, as they lack access to social protection and the safeguarding instruments that come with having a formal job. As many of them attempt to transition now into employment or seek means to make a living, they find themselves challenged by a reduced number of vacancies, by budget cuts, by increasing numbers of unemployed people of all ages and markets facing pandemic disruptions, which is also deterring or hindering the opportunities for young people to succeed in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial activities. The youth need is, is therefore, and without doubt, one of the hardest hit groups who may experience the scarring effects or the long-term repercussions of the crisis. 
unless there is decisive and targeted action to integrate them into employment. So isn't there also a risk of both short and long-term impact on the mental health of young people? And how does this manifest itself? Yes, um, unfortunately, the mental well-being of young people is at risk. Family stress, social isolation, risk of domestic abuse, disrupted education, and uncertainty about the future are some of the channels through which COVID-19 has impacted the emotional development of young people. In a recent uh, global survey conducted by partners of the Global Initiative on Decent Jobs for Youth, we found that one out of two young people aged 18 to 29 are possibly affected by anxiety or depression. This is quite uh, striking and and even more to note that about 70% of young people uh, are probably in a situation of anxiety or depression. Younger youth, that is um, those aged between 18 to 29, are more prone to reflect feeling uh, uh, poor mental well-being in comparison to older youth, say those 30 to 34. It is also more likely to see poor mental well-being outcomes among young women, which is indeed a cause of concern. And we see these early signs reflected in young people's perceptions about their future. For example, the survey also asked young people about how they perceive um, uh, their uh, career prospects. And 38% of them see them actually with lots of uncertainty, while 16% actually see them with fear. So uh, it is already a manifestation of the harsh impacts of COVID-19 in the opportunities and and perceptions, aspirations of young people towards the future. These uh, most concerned about their future are actually young people that are not in employment, education or training, and young women. So in light of all this, the ILO is calling for urgent, large-scale, and targeted employment policy responses to prevent lost opportunities and promote greater youth inclusion in the labor market. Can you briefly run through some of these key policy recommendations? Indeed. We want to prevent a lockdown generation. And to do that, the ILO is calling for immediate, large-scale, and targeted action And here is how. So first, uh, we need to strengthen our focus uh, on facilitating the transition of young people into decent work through job creation and the promotion of youth-led enterprises. Here, countercyclical fiscal policies, along with strong national employment policies, can help young people, especially those in a need status, uh, to acquire work experience, for example, through quality apprenticeships and traineeship programs to access work, for example, through hiring or wage subsidies programs, and also to access capital and other inputs that they may need to start up uh, their businesses through entrepreneurship promotion interventions. So these measures 
uh, are quite important, but it is also important to complement them with investments in sectors of growth. And these are sectors where we see uh, a greatest potential to absorb the large numbers of young job seekers that are today out um, uh, in the market across the world. So uh, sectors uh, of, of with this potential could, for example, be the green economy or the digital economy, where we see young people have um, not only um, uh, some of the skills needed to uh, address the needs of, of economic needs in these in these areas, but also uh, maybe uh, quite um, easily integrated into into the jobs of the future. The second area of of work that the office is proposing is uh, the need to to bring responses and measures to protect young workers, their incomes jobs and the health uh, of, of young people in employment, regardless the type of contract they have. And here it's important to, to uh, go back to the sectors that Cher mentioned that are quite vulnerable to the crisis, because uh, protecting young, young workers in those sectors is important, as well as uh, protecting youth in the informal economy who uh, need to have access to social protection. And in some cases, if needed, it will be important to think about how to flexibilize requirements so that young people can access unemployment insurance benefits and benefit as well from work sharing arrangements or short time compensation measures. So uh, in this context of widespread teleworking, uh, the right of young people to disconnect from work is also crucial to their well-being. And it is important that we think about opportunities to protect um, uh, those that are already in employment so that they don't lose their jobs, but also they can maintain their health and, uh, and the stability that those jobs are offering. And last but, but not least, we need to continue investing in education and skills development with a focus on the new requirements of a post-COVID world of work. Indeed, uh, distance and online learning have opened a door of opportunities, but now we need to ensure that this is a door open to everybody and not to the few with broadband connectivity and access to ICT equipment or even access to quality curricula. Uh, similarly, it, it is important to think about uh, uh, the pathways for young people that have left the school those early school leavers uh, who have dropped out either because they could not afford continue paying their education or because they needed to support their families and sustain the income of the household. So they have entered into uh, some sort of uh, employment opportunities. So uh, when it comes to education and training, it is important to think about measures that can bring early school leavers back into education or a pathway of, of, of career building. Uh, all of this is only possible if it is accompanied by social dialogue. So let's ensure our actions are right space and strengthen youth voices in key policy-making processes. And that includes through our support for young people's participation and their voice in trade unions and employers' organizations. Supporting young people can empower them to become and continue being agents of change for a faster and stronger socioeconomic recovery that indeed, as Director General Gerwider puts it, build back better. 
I want to thank both of you for that very comprehensive overview of the jobs crisis facing the world's youth. Millions of young people were already unemployed and underemployed before the COVID-19 pandemic. As we've heard today, the multidimensional nature of the crisis is hitting youth harder than any others in the labor market. One thing is abundantly clear. We need to act urgently if we're going to keep the lockdown generation from becoming a lost one. I'm Tom Netter, and you've been listening to the ILO podcast series on global solutions to the COVID-19 employment challenge. Thank you for your time.